Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another series of Squiggly Podcast Minisodes. Uh, not so many uh, this time around. They're pretty chunky. But we're returning to the Cardiff Animation Festival for the first time since its first edition. Back in 2018, where we did some filmmaker brunch sessions, we were back again this year for the in-person Cardiff Animation Festival, its triumphant return to the Chapter Arts Centre in Cardiff. And it was a wonderful time indeed, was it not, my companion Laura Beth? It was indeed. Laura and I shared filmmaker brunch duties. Uh, today we're going to be bringing you my session, which took place on the Saturday, where we talked to some fantastic filmmakers. Some of them are familiar faces or voices to Squiggly Podcast audience listener people, and some brand new talent in the mix as well. But before that, shall we reflect poetically on what a wonderful time we had at the Cardiff Animation Festival? Let's. What were uh, some of your favorite things about being back at Cardiff after all these years? I always love going to that festival. I really like the venue it's in. So that was nice. And it was nice to see lots and lots of people that we obviously haven't seen in, what, like two, three years now. Mm. There were lots of people from other festivals and people from universities who teach and are taught <laughs> at various institutions, which was nice to both meet them for the first time and and uh, see people we know quite well. Meet up with the entire Squiggly crew, which is becoming harder and rarer. Yes, uh, the whole extended Squiggly family. <laughs> it was a lovely time, indeed. Uh, as, as people who might follow us on Instagram might have uh, picked up, we have an honorary new member. Yeah, no, very nice all round. It was absolutely fantastic, I think, for the soul to be able to actually do this at a festival again. I know that some festivals have been sort of returning back to you know, physical editions. I think this was the first one where we were kind of there for pretty much the whole thing. We came actually on the second day, but stayed right through to, to uh, the end. And, um, the end. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't super better for one of our, uh, well, a couple of our uh, today's podcast guests. Joanna Quinn uh, won an audience award, well-deserved for her film Affairs of the Art, and, uh, oh, a special commendation went to another filmmaker who made the film Crafty Witch. Oh, wait, it was you. Mm. <laughs> Aren't we adorable? Mm. <laughs> not, not insufferable at all. Mm. Well done, Laura. It was a surprise, but it was very A welcome nice. surprise. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. It's always it nice good, to uh, it was a good surprise. be commended by yeah, your peers. I've never been commended or awarded anything so no I've, I've i don't think i have either you've won a thing that's a trick oh well, i've won things but as far as like from you know people you like people like, well, <laughs> as far as like first-hand interaction it's sort of you know the reaction to my work is more of a kind of like supportive hand on the shoulder and i was in the grimace. room <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that very rarely happens yeah no uh, absolutely uh, fantastic lineup of events really enjoyed the uh, talks and some of the uh, special presentations got to finally see flea which was uh, Magnificent. It was really good. Yeah, like, but I know, well like, worth the hype. I know everyone says it's really good, but normally when people say that, I'm like, is it though? Well, this is one, it was, It did kind of strike me as one of those films where I was like, oh, is it good or is everyone just saying it's good because of what it's about? And uh, it is very good. It it's an uh, objectively very well-made film and actually kind of freaky in places and quite sincerely emotional in places. Mm. And a perfect example, I think, of how a, a animation can be a sort of all-rounder medium for films outside of the usual Disney fair. And some other great events as well. It's nice to finally see the folks who make up Skillbard, who um, have been involved in Squiggly in the past, uh, helped out with a couple of other podcasts, and have corresponded with but not actually met in person, so that was nice. 
doing a Quinn's masterclass. Which well, if that goes without saying, I, I would, oh, but yes. Say it anyway. <laughs> so, Joanna Quinn did a, essentially a kind of live animation demonstration, which was absolutely uh, jaw-dropping. And I, we, we talk a little bit about it in the uh, upcoming brunch. I heard that a lot of the other events, some of the stuff that we didn't uh, make it to, uh, also got some really, really strong feedback from people who did. Brothers McLeod have a new show uh, talking about Circle Square. And uh, It's Pony, there was a masterclass that I heard lots of people saying really positive things about. And the online edition of Cardiff is still actually going on by the time this uh, episode goes out this week. So, uh, yeah, I think you've got just about a week left or a few days left uh, to check out the online program. Uh, It's a lot of the stuff that was part of the physical edition, you know, all sorts of film screenings and selections and programs and masterclasses and some exclusive stuff as well, I dare say. But as far as this podcast goes, this is a uh, revisit of the Filmmaker Brunch that wasn't, I think, filmed for the online version, but we did record it and here it is. So... Who is on the dais? Well, we have Joanne Fisher, the director of Stash and the Inner Walk, in which Salvador Dali's mustache rises in the crypt and journeys into the world of its subconscious. Uh, we're talking with Emlyn Davis from Bumper Studio, who have done a bunch of music videos recently, included in the Cardiff program, was their music video for the Foo Fighters called Chasing Birds, which takes influence from the 1960s psychedelic art movement. Uh, as you'll pick up in the... Um, uh, Q&A here. I think he was a little unclear as to which one of their films had gotten into Cardiff, but uh, yes, Chasing Birds, uh, which is actually online, so you can check it out. Uh, Affairs of the Art by Joanna Quinn, Les Mills, which has been brought up many a time on the Squiggly podcast. It's already been brought up on this episode. And yes, of course, Joanna Quinn directed Les Mills, wrote it, and it's about one family's eccentric obsessions with everything from drawing to pet taxidermy. It is, of course, also the return of Joanna Quinn's famous character, Beryl, we also have Daniel Gray, who was someone we've actually interviewed on the site, but uh, we hear a bit more from him talking about his film Hyde. Laura Beth Cowley joins us talking about Crafty Witch, which I guess I could have just done here now. Uh, I guess, full disclosure, that's a film I uh, worked on a little bit at the end. I did some post-production. Uh, we'll hear more about that in a minute. Paulo Flanagan from Boulder Media. He was there with a film called Memento Mori, which was a nice, creepy, uh, morbid one. This is my favourite new film. It's about a um, post-mortem photographer. Some people actually jumped in the audience, which I always enjoy. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice reaction, especially with uh, 2D animation. It's harder, I think, to pull off. And a student film from Cardiff Metropolitan University, directed by Callum Angel. We also talk about this called The Catalyst, and it's about a young man taken on a bizarre journey of self-discovery full of colourful men and phallic imagery. That one was also very good. They were all smashing, and uh, it was a delight to meet the filmmakers. I mean, some of them we already knew, but it's great to sort of get them all together and chat about the work. So without further ado, let us hear said chat. (laughs) (laughs) This is the kind of filmmaker brunch session one, and begin. Hello everyone, thanks very much for coming to the uh, Cardiff Animation Festival Filmmaker Brunch, the first session, we have another one tomorrow, around the same time in here, and um, my name is Ben, I run Squiggly, the animation magazine, and uh, we've had a very clement relationship with Cardiff uh, way back in the day when they were Cardiff Animation Nights, and they've continued to grow and thrive, and it's wonderful to be back here again after uh, so many years away. And I'm really, really, really happy to be able to talk to some of the amazing filmmakers who have work in this year's selection. And uh, I guess to begin with, it would be fantastic if we go down the line 
And um, if everyone could introduce themselves and say which films they uh, worked on and um, where it's screening or which category it's screening in. And uh, then we'll go from there. So if we start with uh, Laura. Do you want us to describe the film at all? Um, we'll, get, we'll get into the, okay. the descriptions um, as we go. But yeah, if you just start with introductions. And, um, and these aren't plugged into anything like PA-wise. So um, they're just for recording. So uh, project. <laughs> and the toast is here. That's the important thing. Uh, I think this would be the place. <laughs> I, I think if it's if it's if it's edible and it's on that table, it's fair game. Cool. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm Laura Beth Cowley, and I did the Crafty Witch, which is in uh, Selection Seven, the late night dark after dark, after dark. It's a weird one. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm uh, Paul O'Flanagan. Uh, we made Memento Mori. It's in the same uh, category as Laura's. It's a horror short seven. It was on last night and tonight. And uh, yeah, check it out. I'm Emlyn Davis. I'm the founder uh, and creative director of Botma Studio. Uh, and we put in Tyler Childers, which is a music video and another music uh, video for Foo Fighters called No Son of Mine. I'm Joanne Fisher. I made Stash in the Inner Walk. It's not, not in competition. It showed at the animation nights at, uh, down at the depot on Thursday night. Hi, uh, I'm Callum Angel. I uh, made the Catalyst, uh, which is which was showing in the After Dark uh, uh, program today or tonight, yesterday, and tonight. I'm Joanna Quinn. I directed Affairs of the Art, which was on mm-hmm, yesterday, the day before, and tomorrow. And I can't remember the program. Four. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm uh, Les Mills. I'm the writer and producer of the same film, Affairs of the Art. And I've been working with Joanna for 36 years. Oh, all right. Hi, I'm Daniel Gray, and my film is Hyde and was another After Dark one. Fantastic. I guess we'll start with the um, Cardiff Animation Nights uh, screening film. So, yeah, Joanna, if you could tell us a bit about your kind of personal background, how you kind of came to animation, and uh, I guess, are you here from Canada? Yes. Cool. Did you come here for the festival or have you been in England for a while? Uh, no, I came specifically for the festival. Like many filmmakers, it was like, this is my film's at the end of its um, festival run and I haven't seen it in the theatre. Yeah. So it was like, I think this is my last chance to actually see it in the theatre. So, yeah. How did you find the uh, animation nights? It's usually, uh, usually a good time. Oh, it, uh, it was brilliant. It was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Great. So yeah, how did you kind of get into animation then and what's the scene like over there at the moment? Um, well, I'm from Calgary, Alberta. So in Alberta, there isn't a formal animation program like at the university level or whatever. So I kind of, um, um, well, as, a, as an artist or whatever, I was looking for something to make my work a little less static. And so I took some classes through... Um, uh, the Quick Draw Animation Society, um, which has been in existence since 1970 in Calgary. And then it was kind of like, uh, this is like magic. It's like, it comes to life. So what could be better than that? So that's just kind of how I got started. That was about four or five years ago. And then um, I took classes through the Animation Society and then I got a scholarship, like a production scholarship. And that's when I made this film. So. 
So was Quick Draw involved in this film specifically? Um, I would say on a production level, um, yes. Like, I mean, basically they gave me space and some uh, equipment and resources and some mentorship and, uh, yeah. Nice. So is that kind of, do they do that quite often then? Do they kind of sort of nurture films that are kind of more, I guess, independently produced? Or are they set up mainly for education? Um, I think it's kind of their mission, it's a little bit of both. I mean, their mission really is for the production of animation. Um, in Alberta itself, like I said, there isn't really formal education. There's a couple courses at the university level, so it's really um, kind of a scrappy little do-it-yourself um, hotbed for independent animation, kind of with a leaning to experimental animation. Yeah. I could see then that they'd be quite good bedfellows for your film and its concept because it's a sort of scrappy energy to it as well, I'd say. And um, uh, for people who didn't uh, catch it, it's about uh, Dali, or more specifically Dali's mustache and uh, adventures it goes on therein. And, uh, has Dali been kind of an important figure for you? Uh, I, not necessarily. I mean, he really was kind of a genius. Um, I got the idea when I'd read an article about his ex remains being exhumed for paternity testing, like someone had claimed they were his daughter, and um, which w would be a whole lot of money involved with that. So um, anyway, um, a big deal was made about the fact that his mustache was still intact, like the 10-2 handlebar mustache or whatever, and so I just, you know, I mean, I'm sure he had a ton of lacquer on it <laughs> when they buried him, and plus hair doesn't decompose at the same rate as flesh, so I just started, well, what if it was alive? And that's kind of where it went from. So, yeah. It's an interesting sort of convergence of styles throughout the film. Like, it's not a film that kind of... Uh, often films, when they're about artists specifically, they really kind of draw on the artist's work, like, um, for example, Loving Vincent or whatnot. And this isn't really... It's, it's more, I think, got its own sense of identity, other than him being sort of a... a character in the film. So I was sort of interested in some of your other kind of artistic leanings or inspirations or things that might have sort of gone toward that, creating that visual style. Uh, well, I really bashed around for quite a while when um, I first started the film and I guess, yeah, I tend to have a little bit more of a painterly approach or a softer approach and so um, at first I was going to do just strictly kind of a cutout and then it, the mustache was really janky when I tried to do it that way. And so um, I just kind of fell upon paint on glass because it made sense. Like if something is spineless, it's, you know, it's kind of got to be fluid. So. Uh, so what are you up to at the moment? Or do you have anything sort of coming up next that you can talk about? I have ideas. But um, I found um, the, uh, COVID to be actually, I, it was like hitting molasses. So um, I've got, I've got a, a grain of an idea, which I will probably start afterwards. But I, and I did a couple small jobs, but uh, nothing, nothing notable. Well, I look forward to uh, whatever form it takes. And thank you very much for uh, talking to us. Thanks for having me. Um, so if we move on to Bumper, the uh, sound vision uh, category, I think. So what were the, the projects you mentioned? It was two music videos, right? Yeah, it was Tyler Childers uh, and then Notes on a Mind for Foo Fighters. Cool. Uh, the notes I have are for a Foo Fighters uh, video called Chasing Birds. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, no. But I have seen the other one. But I guess to begin with, if you could tell us a bit about Bumper Studio 
the kind of work you generally do and um, I guess how long you guys have been around for that sort of thing? Yeah, the studio, I set the studio up uh, in 2014, so we've been around um, eight years. Um, and we took a, a bit of a step change, a, a route change, I think it was about three years ago, when we did um, an in-house show called Coffee Run. Uh, and from that, that was just, just us need, needing to try and find out how to do character animation, you know, work out the pipeline, because we'd, we'd all CG. Um, so we just needed to figure out how we were going to do characters. Um, so from the back of that, then we won the Tyler Childers job. And then obviously Tyler Childers is, is part of the same uh, record label as the Foo Fighters, and then it's just kind of es escalated from there. So yes, so there's that relationship then, I guess, is that cultivated with the label itself, um, or is it more with the bands? Uh, yeah, it's more the label. Yeah, so the record label are the ones that you, you end up, the management you talk to a lot more than the bands, because the bands are, you know, either they're on shows or they're all, you know, they're touring or... So it's usually the record label that you, you tend to speak to. Okay. Is that in sort of a go-between capacity, or are they making like creative decisions on behalf of the band? Um, yeah, it depends. Like the, the band are always making the, the final kind of sign-off and creative. They, they give you the first initial brief. Um, sometimes it can be really vague, and they just let you run with it. Um, and then sometimes, like the, the Tyler Childers ones, for example, that was heavily influenced by Tony Moore's work. So he'd like fully directed it, um, storyboarded it. So he was the one driving that. Excellent. Cool. Um, for Chasing Birds then, um, specifically, yeah. it's sort of definitely rooted in psychedelia. The other video, quite a different style, a bit more kind of, um, I would say, sort of noir action sort yeah, of energy yeah, 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 to yeah. it. Was that coming from your studio? In any, were you kind of like working on the viz dev? from your end and suggesting sort of steering it in a certain direction yeah so the so the brief for um uh the desert version was that they just said wanted yellow submarine that was okay. the, just something similar but we needed this kind of this idea of um they didn't want to show any drug taking as well okay. so they, there was you know how can you try and do psych psychedelia without any drugs this is <laughs> it was really difficult so we were trying to think of ways of how could we show him so we thought, right, if he's in a desert, potentially, you know, he's hallucinating because he's dehydrated. That was the, the kind of way we were trying to get around the not taking any drugs. But, um, but yeah, we, we, we were given, you know, free reign to do what we wanted as long as they, they, the band wanted to be, they want to see more of the band in that film as well because it tends to be a lot of Dave Grohl that, you know, because he's the front man. Um, so, yeah, we, we want to think of different scenarios for each of the band members to try and kind of highlight them as well. And was it Cinema 4D? Was the yeah, so we do all of the rendering and kind of um, model making in Cinema 4D, um, but a lot of the animation comes through Maya, so we have like, just a pipeline through. Do they work together then quite harmoniously? Yeah, it's just the, an alembic oh. workflow that we, we've sorted out that is the best way. Cool. It's obviously been a bit of a rough time for Foo Fighters the last month or so, and you know, fans, of course, as well. That being said, had there any sort of plans to kind of collaborate with them further or with other artists on the label based on how this has gone so far? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, like obviously everything's stopped for the Foo Fighters now, so everything's been cancelled. Uh, they were touring the UK, I think, in the summer. Um, but yeah, everything's been cancelled for them. Um, so I can't say any more about that, what, you know, what their plans are, honestly. Um, yeah, it was a big shock to everybody. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what the plans are, so I can't really say any more about that. As far as Bumper goes then, what sort of irons do you have in the fire that you're able to talk about? Is there other sort of 
uh, work strands. Yeah, yeah, we've we've been insanely busy. The the pandemic has you know it's gone completely opposite for us. We we just kind of doubled, tripled work. So we've been very fortunate. Um, we're doing like I said, the coffee run about two two and a half years ago was our kind of changing point to do character animation, and and now that's all we seem to get is we just get inundated with character work. So we're doing a lot of stuff for um, games advertising. Um, you know, just ad- adverts in general. So we're doing a lot of TVCs as well. So yeah, it's just gone berserk, <laughs> which is good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And um, yeah, thanks uh, for talking to us today. I guess if we move on to the homesick screening, if you can pass that down to Joanna and Les. Affairs of the Art is a film that, like with Joanne's film, has had a bit of a festival run already. Uh, it came out last year. It's been doing very, very well. Of course, th- uh, thrice winner, I think, at the British Animation Awards. And um, Oscar nominee, I personally think it was robbed, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you've talked about it a lot. It's, uh, I think probably most people here would have seen you talk last night about your process and stuff. So just to kind of, I guess, add on to that a little bit, maybe do, uh, we could mini recap perhaps like the origins, I guess, of Beryl, this uh, fantastic larger than life character who has been a recurring uh, presence in your work for so long. What is it about this character that keeps you in her orbit? I think um, uh, I think I am Beryl. I think we've turned into each other. So, um, <laughs> or rather, you've turned into Beryl. Yeah, me. <laughs> well, perhaps she's turned into you. Yeah. Like maybe not in the factory worker days, but now in the life drawing and art days. You yeah, know, it's like yeah. there's a sort of metaphysical. Uh, <laughs> hybridization yeah I mean this is the fourth the fourth film um, with Beryl in and I think what we wanted to do in this film because all of the other films were like one incident films like uh, you know going to the male stripper um, a wedding a body beautiful contest so they were all like one one event one event, one event. so uh, I think we wanted to make this film a little bit more a bit deeper, you know. And think, yeah, we wanted to explore the background, the history of Beryl, where she mm. came from. So we did, really, didn't we? Yeah, by introducing more of her, um, her family, so that you could probably learn more about her personality from looking at her family. You know, like when you meet somebody's family and you go, oh, I get it now, you know. <laughs> 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 they make more sense. So uh, yeah. that's, that's sort of where that came from. Yeah, it's sort of biographical and autobiographical isn't it? Yeah. for both of us, yeah. actually. Yeah, we've had a lot of people who are horrified by some of the things that happen in it, but to us that seems normal, so because uh, it, it all happened. You know, so. <laughs> as, as far as your like creative relationship goes, then uh, something I hadn't realised or maybe misinterpreted last night, but am I right in thinking that, Liz, you didn't actually write the first film, but... From the second film on, what the Beryl film? You mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but I was I was there in in the college and I taught <coughs> Joanna, so the relationship was there, and I think I helped probably with the concept and and the, and the character, but of course the animation was totally Joanna. It was a graduation film, basically, you know. So did you write the script then for the Joanna? Yeah. 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 Was it sort of an easy kind of thing to do to kind of hand over the reins in that respect to the to Les to kind of carry on this character and 
for I adventures? suppose we've never really had like defined roles in that way. No. I mean, when I made Girls' Night Out, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, it was just it just sort of somehow worked. I just mm-hmm. threw it all together, and I'd already done a comic strip, so that's that was my storyboard. Um, because I wasn't on an animation course because it was graphic design, so I didn't really know how to make a film. So I just made it up as I went along. So there was no script as such. There was an, there was an idea, I think it's it just came an from, idea. We, we went on a day trip to Boulogne, I think it was, and on the way back in the, in the tra- on the train, we said, oh, that's, this is a great idea for a movie, this girl going out, you know, on a sort of event, and the event got turned into not a day trip, but a male, st- an <laughs> evening trip, you know, to a, a stripper. So, of course, yeah. Jo had to do research. So she went to a stripper's. Yeah, had a lot of, a lot of help. <laughs> yeah. Lots of volunteers saying, I'll come and hold your book. <laughs> I think it was a revelation because she hadn't been to one before. And the kind of, you know, the, the, the uh, I suppose the qualities of the women there and their reaction to this guy, you know, it was like, yeah, it it's sort great. of appalled you, but it, you thought it was fantastic <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, it's so just unusual that, seeing yeah. all these women in one room yeah. all going mad. Um, oh. mm. So I remember the last time, I think, it, it may have been here or maybe for the Cardiff uh, Film Festival, but you did a, a presentation going through your earlier work, and as we were getting the train home, there was a big group of women <laughs> on a girls' night out, and it was so, like, <laughs> matched up to the... Uh, it's one of those timeless things, I think. Were they so Welsh this, women? Yes. Very bored, <laughs> very... Uh, um, yeah. Uh, something you mentioned uh, last night and actually was, was showing us and it made my brain explode uh, was your process, which is you know, traditional light box, and, but without the light uh, from behind. And that, to me, I just, I just personally, and I think probably I'm not alone, I, I wouldn't be able to work that out. I think for a lot of animators who are like, fortunate enough to be able to animate traditionally, not having that element of it, like the backlighting and the onion skinning, sort of makes it really, really impossible to sort of watch how you do it kind of more intuitively or sort of like just sort of knowing where the space is to create in betweens was really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, I imagine would be very hard to replicate in software as far as like, yeah. and I wonder, do you, has, has Affairs of the Art been made then in the same way, like pencil on paper? Yeah, I mean, right. I did start. I did. I started it in TV Paint, so I animated right. for uh, six months um, using TV Paint. But it is so different, you know. And it sort of, I used a different bit of the brain, and um, I kept questioning everything I did. So it stopped being intuitive, and the animation became quite wooden. And I started using layers, you know, to save time and. And thinking, I, I never do that. You know, I just go overboard on the animation, and I I, I was holding back. So, so Les and he and Les could see that I was a bit unhappy, and said the animation well, wasn't the animation as good. Didn't look like uh, it just wasn't as fluid. No. I just mm. couldn't get the flow. There was no energy and yeah. the dynamism had gone. Yeah. You know? So I decided that I would get my light box out again, and I felt a bit like I was going back in time because I really wanted to embrace the digital world. Mm. But oh well, I didn't, and it didn't work. So, <laughs> well, I can I can definitely see that that the fluidity being a big part of the result, yeah. the way the way you do it, and it's kind of made me want to give that a try. Uh, 
yeah, we'll see how that goes. But <laughs> <laughs> um, back in the day when you were making these films, I was you know more kind of backing from the likes of S4C, Channel mm. Four, that sort of thing. Not so much now. Does that have any advantages, I guess? Because were you more, I guess, going it alone with this film? Yeah, I mean, it was great on the one hand because we could just take as long as we wanted. Yeah. But uh, on the other hand, we could take as long as we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like... Too long. And, and I know Ben, because every time I saw you, you were going, have you finished your film? You're like, no! So uh, the pressure of finishing this bloody film was a nightmare. But what it did mean is that we could take on lots of um, uh, like graduates and people who weren't that experienced in animation and just have a nice time. So it was, like, it was a bit like extended college because we were trying to work out how to do everything and there was no pressure with a deadline. So it really was just like extended college just, and we all just spent all day laughing. <laughs> and then I guess with the NFB, they came on board right at the end then for post-production? So the that? NFB um, uh, came, they, with the, Michael Fukushima got in touch. He, we'd already started and he was keen to uh, do a co-production. So um, we said, oh, NFB, yes. <laughs> and that we were supposed to do all the post-production over there, but then COVID hit. So we never made it to Canada, which is a real shame. But uh, yeah, so that's how, that's how that happened. However, because of the Oscar nomination, the NFB went into overdrive. And they were like, <laughs> oh, terrifying. So well, terrifyingly good. That was good. So they were great. Yeah. Were they a part of sort of getting you over there then? And yeah, no. yeah, they organized everything. So it Wonderful. was fantastic. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, it's always lovely to see the film. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for being here this morning. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, I guess on a similar note then, if we go to Daniel's film, uh, which also had some NFB involvement, was it a similar thing? Did they come on at the end or were they more kind of involved, like as it was being produced? or? In um, so um, one of the things... I picked up from other films I'd done in festivals was if you speak to, if a producer speaks to you in a festival and say what are you up to next it's a good idea to have what you have with you to show them because <laughs> they don't want to know you're going to have a year off while you enjoy festivals they're there working aren't they so so I had the script for hide with me and uh, morale from the NFB said, what are you up to next? And I said, this. <laughs> and then she emailed me the next day and said that they'd be interested. So, so that was at Annecy. So they got on board around then. And then we had a protracted sort of <clears throat> thing getting co-producers and stuff because uh, I was working with my friend Tom at the time and we were working with a company called uh, Blacklist in America who were going to co-produce. And then we went our separate ways and I didn't really want to have the American co-production with Canada because it was very difficult to arrange and there was no real benefit I didn't think so we got a French uh, co-producer and my wife's a producer in in Hungary and she was like why aren't we producing this and, <laughs> and I was like yeah why and then she, they came on as well so we had uh, Hungary France and Canada and yeah they were from the start and very good support yeah I guess because I, I remember it would sort of it was quite fully fleshed out at sort of animatic stage. Once you have all these different producers sort of on board, then are they kind of happy for you to kind of carry on with the idea as envisioned, or was there any kind well, of? Well, kind of another thing I've discovered watching other people make films and stuff is 
the producers cut some producers like to earn their money by suggesting things and which is good because a lot of them are knowledgeable but if you if you do as much as possible before yeah. and you have something which you know works uh, there's less chance of stuff being altered and things yeah. and it's easier in the long run as well with the producers it's like I used to sell mobile phones in Cardiff on uh, cold calling people and one of the things they used to say was about like buyer's remorse where you, you sell something to someone and you have to get them to write down everything they're going to get it in the post otherwise you hang up and they go what just happened and they cancel the order so it's like with me I want to give them as much as possible so we've got this big full fleshed out thing which makes it easier for them to be confident in the project and stuff and all those things you can do yourself you can do a storyboard yourself and, a, and an animatic yourself it doesn't it's not terrible to rough, just rough one out. Yeah. And so it goes back, I guess, a few years, the idea, pre-COVID and everything, but it's, it's become, I, I feel like, you know, the last few years we've all had an especially kind of relevant musing, I suppose. I mean, if, if I remember right, it was sort of about, like, homesickness and being detached from people in our lives as we all get older. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, right, yeah, it's yeah. about disconnection. It was it was written after I'd moved to Budapest. Yeah, and uh, I've said this loads of times, so it always feels weird me repeating the same things. Uh, but what happens is you, I speak to all my friends every day. Uh, we FaceTime. I I spoke to my parents all the time, but then there was still something kind of weirdly missing. And like the way I kind of describe it is like homesickness was used to be really easy to define you send a letter to someone then a few weeks later you get the letter back and that period of nothing is homesickness you know it's like a punch in the stomach and then nowadays it's harder to find it's more like a paper cut as in what's what's this thing niggling away and it's that sort of being able to sit in a room and not say anything uh you know read the mood just give a hug that sort of thing and um when i was writing the film it's kind of the way i write is to sort of um almost sort of self-meditate on that's a contradiction meditate on like what i'm feeling and i find it easier to write them because i'm just writing what's happening and um and then so i thought this is going to be quite a personal not a huge amount of people are going to get the film because i know lots of people work away and don't see it but then all of a sudden so covid happened when everyone had this disconnection everyone was experiencing facetime every day and stuff and you you've everyone sort of got that longing so it became a bit more universal all of a sudden, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm not sure if I ever have asked this. Why a cabinet specifically as the kind of um, vehicle, I suppose, or the, the setting? Um, well, so I write, wrote lots of little stories, and one of us, I pick the bits out of the stories which I find interesting. And there was one where there was someone hiding in the cupboard and someone... Because there's this flat in Budapest where this woman was feeding pigeons on the windowsill. And every now and again, the shutter would close with some pigeons inside. And I imagined that she was, like, cooking them or something. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'd like, how would you witness that? I guess someone would be in the cupboard. And then at the same time, I was um, toying with this, this idea of, of disconnection and hide-and-seek. And I'd written, ri- uh, read a few short stories which had children's games in. And I'm a bit cynical, and I like to decide design for an audience. And I thought inside a cupboard where you're peeking out, it's a lot like being in the room of a cinema with the light at the one end. 
if you see it in, in a screening, I kind of, when I've seen it a few times, the few times in the box, I think it does feel like everyone's in the box with you. Uh, so it was, um, it was a good solution which fitted a lot of things. So, yeah. And also, um, <clears throat> with the stuff in the, in the cupboard, it sort of helped for me to sort of work out what was going on when I was writing the script there's stuff in the written story which isn't in the animation where uh, like they have a party and there's glasses in the cupboard and stuff like that so as with a couple of the other films here then there's another film that's kind of I guess if not at the end of the festival run it's had a good you know period of time where it's been doing the rounds um on reflection how would you say that sort of been compared to the sort of journeys your other films have been, which have been sort of in you know, more clement times when you'd be able to sort of actually accompany it perhaps more? Um, well, I had a sort of grand plan this time when I was going to go overboard on schmoozing and meet as many producers as possible. Uh, I've got like a few ideas which I had prepared, but that didn't really happen. Um, and um, seeing being involved in some of the online festivals it's been easy to see there's like some which have been great and some which have been terrible and it's like such a fine line how to get that sort of festival experience but for me it's kind of you know it's always a little bit disappointing it feels like it feels like it hadn't actually gone to a festival until I went to Zagreb and actually got to see it in a in a screening and then it sort of started again and then it's almost over now which was only a few months later so. <laughs> but you know this is all really selfish you know so <laughs> it's all a luxury to be able it's to do all of this <laughs> so it's like you know yeah. but it's, it's a, no, I think it's something we've all missed and I think that there's definitely especially sort of I, I was feeling it yesterday in a real way like it's, it's so nice to be able to actually kind of have a bit of a sense of, of everyone coming together again so it's, it's good for the soul I think yeah and chatting as well, chatting to people who, because we all sort of share a common sort of language, which yeah. is quite specific to animation and film. So it's good to be able to stand with, with a beer and just speak freely about, <laughs> about onion skinning and stuff. Yeah, being with animation nerds again is Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> um, great. And you mentioned that you had a couple of ideas and is anything moving forward at the moment or are you still kind of waiting and seeing? Uh, yeah, I've got... Um, a project with Cub, which is the my wife's production company, Bellis Production Company in Hungary, and that's an adaptation of a children's book, um, which isn't my normal sort of thing, but I quite like doing different things. But it's it's a, a book about a girl and a dog that turns out to be a bear when it grows up. <laughs> and the book is very sparsely written. There's a lot of room in there for me to sort of direct and stuff. So that was quite an appealing project. And another one which is completely mine, uh, which is like, I called it at the moment, Seventh Summer. And that's kind of like a visual poem um, about Wales and the countryside and growing up in it and the stuff you do. <laughs> which is, so it's in my, that's in my usual style of quite dark, but with very pretty, um, uh, light, sunny visuals and um, a sort of dark poem being read over it. Well, it's not a poem, it's a short. But it kind of come, when I had someone read it for me and record it for the scratch sound, it sort of started sounding a bit poetic almost. Okay. Uh, so that's, I'm just working that on that quietly. Like I say, I like to have an animatic done and stuff before I try and approach people with these projects. 
being over more films you get under your belt, the easier it, it is to get people interested. Cool, I'll look forward to those. And um, yeah, thanks again for joining us today. Cool, if we pass the mic uh, all the way up to me, if we can stay with the, the After Dark screening and we'll move on to Laura Beth's Crafty Witch, uh, which is a film that came together in a pretty unique way. It's a film for a PhD, yeah. which uh, you don't see super often. What was that about? Uh, so I've just finished a PhD on the use of 3D printing and stop-motion animation. So this film is a 3D printed stop-motion film um, that was sort of exploring the idea of how 3D printing has its own unique aesthetic. So if you see the film, I'm going to use your T-shirt as an example. So it's sort of this old kind of lino print style was kind of what I was going for. So the way I did it was I really ramped up the layer lines. I don't know if you know anything about 3D printing, but there's uh, the kind of classic 3D printer, which is an FDM printer, which sort of goes around on a coil. And I was always interested in like really ramping that up. There was a film made by the NFB a couple of years ago called Bone Mother, where they used uh, like really lo-fi FDM printing to sort of have this kind of really stepped effect to the face of uh, a character who was uh, Baba Yaga, who's a old folkloric witch. And so it's kind of similar to that, but sort of replicating the actual print style of um, how witch trial pamphlets were made back in the olden days. And so it's a film about the folk, uh, the witch hunt trials in the style of the pamphlets of the witch hunt trials, mm. um, but also using 3D printing to sort of prove my thesis. Yeah. It also kind of um, draws upon what's been ultimately sort of dubbed cartoon modern, oh, yeah. um, very sort of UPA sensibilities, and that I, I know has always been sort of part of what you wanted it to be like, but that kind of led to a collaboration as well, as far as like the design and previs with uh, Sam, right? Yeah, so the actual f- film style being kind of UPA and kind of these like very basic block-shaped characters with like side noses and really strong profiles... Uh, was something I'd been working on for about seven years. It started when I was like working for the NHS and just like doodling <laughs> things in like the side of patient notes, which I probably shouldn't have done. <laughs> um, so I was like, why are there triangle witches everywhere? Um, but so when I was sort of making the film, I needed someone to do the kind of previs for me. Um, and so I worked with Sam Shaw, who is somewhere in the festival today, who's a Bristol-based animator who works for Sun and Moon. And he does lots and lots of UPA-style animation. So he did all the kind of pre-visual for it. So he did the character design. I sort of did a rough uh, storyboard for it um, and a rough animatic for it with a friend of mine. And then he did, like, a much more detailed animatic, which I basically... Because it was all replacement parts, I had to, like, 3D print every single bit. So then I had to break down all his animatic into keyframes and build everything in CG and then print it. It was a very long process, and that's why it's 30 seconds long. <laughs> it's because it probably it took about a month to print everything, sand everything, paint everything, mm. and then like two days to animate. <laughs> so, yeah. so, oh, this was not a wise move. <laughs> but, you know, two days to animate for 30 seconds actually isn't like too bad when there's so much kind of development. Do you think there's potential in maybe doing more? Because there's a lot in the source material. There are all sorts of like witch trials and things that, you know, I, I, I could see it potentially being sort of something that could be drawn upon or returned to. Yeah, I mean, it was always meant to be like part of a series. So there was actually a film that was here in the very first edition of uh, Card of Animation Festival. And I forget what the premise was, but it was these really short, I think, paper cut animations. And they had like five or f- 
five or six of them playing at the festival, but sort of interspersed between people's like longer films. And I quite like the idea of getting like one film and that was actually like five. And so I just saw interspersed between other people's films. Um, so the, the idea was always to make more. So like you say, because it's the witch hunt trials, this one's about the dunking stall and there's like tons of trials. And um, I swear I came up with the idea first, but now there's just so many pro <laughs> shows about witch hunters and there's like the witch hunter on the BBC. Now it's like, you stole no, my idea no, and you didn't even <laughs> hire me to make the intro. How rude. Um, because, you know, this is also my third film about witches. <laughs> I've made in, in quick succession, so I've got this film now and then the other film that played at last year's Cardiff Animation Festival that I, I don't think I actually managed to see in any festival because I started it or I finished it in 2019, then COVID for yeah. two years and it's still playing, but now if people are like, oh, we have your film, I'm like, which one? I was like, the one about the witch. I'm like, yeah, which one? <laughs> so... Um, I've kind of become the unofficial witch filmmaker of Bristol. That other one was was for the BBC. Yeah, and is then it the still other one I play. No, no, but the other other witch one is right. So there's three, three and one of the other one is on yeah. <laughs> I play still. Perhaps you were a witch in the previous life. I think I was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm honing in on it. <laughs> I'll track them down. Super. Uh, so yeah, I mean, do you, if not, then these particular characters or this particular concept, would you be inclined to sort of use this method again for a film? Maybe. Yeah, yeah it's, it's difficult because it was such a weird combination of things of being both UPA, stop motion, 2D, CG, 3D printed... It, it worked very, very specifically, but it took a long time to explain to people what I was doing, like it does with most of my films, because yeah. I sort of do a lot of research and like people just kind of have to take a punt that it will work. Yeah. Um, so it would depend. I think 3D printing in animation obviously is used a lot with like Leica and Ardman uses it quite a bit as well. Um, but generally it's hidden. And kind of what I was trying to do with this is make it more visibly 3D printed, although I don't think people necessarily notice it's 3D printed. But I like the idea of using materials for, you know, some sort of textural or narrative use. So I think mm. that's why it worked for this. But um, I also did some 3D printing for, like, internal puppet stuff. So um, it would kind of depend if there was a story that came up. It's a skill I now have, and it's, yeah. a, it's another tool in, in 3D printing or in stop motion. Everything is just about new materials and new tools that you have in your arsenal. So if something came up, then yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, kind of depends. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Laura. Let's move on to Memento Mori. And, uh, yeah, I guess maybe um, for people who might not be familiar with Boulder, uh, maybe you could tell us a bit about you guys and what you do and what you're all about. Uh, yeah, I'm um, one of the founding members of Boulder Media. Uh, TV Animation Studio was founded in 2000. I was straight out of college the first animator that was hired. Uh, we went on to do shows for Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon and, you know, things like Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, Gumball, um, you know, loads of stuff. And I was actually working, I was the animation director on um, Danger Mouse, one of, the, one of my highlights. I absolutely loved that show. Um, and I actually just directed a show that was released last week on Netflix called Transformers Bot Bots. So it's kind of sitcom Teen Titans version of thing. But I, yeah, I was actually working on a My Little Pony show when I started writing the horror shorts. Not that, <laughs> not they were, that they were related in any way, 
but it was actually it was a lovely show to work on and it was nice and easy and everything was structured really well so it was kind of like right I'm not thinking about work in the evenings and I'm not doing overtime what am I going to do now with my spare time so that's when I started to think about the short uh, was this an original story or was it adapted from anything? No, it was an original story. Um, I had read an article a few years ago on postmortem photography, uh, Victorian postmortem photography, and like as macabre and weird as it seems to us now, it was quite normal back then for for that limited time. But so uh, I think when you, because I had been developed or thinking about another story about that involved like you know, decomposition and what happens to the body and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they kind of fed one into the other. So as soon as I was reading that article, loads of scenarios started popping into my head. And I just kind of let them sit for a while. And, um, you know, then I started putting these incidents into a bit of a story structure and then started to build a story around that. And so it just kind of grew organically, sitting in the back of my head for a few years. Yeah. It feels to me very reminiscent of certain sort of classic staples of like British horror um, certain films like Whistle and I'll Come to You like this very sort of contained quite short but quite you know suspenseful um, tale was that was that kind of stuff kind of in your mind like as well as far as developing the story there was when I was writing this I was actually listening to uh, some audiobooks that were curated and narrated by Mark Gatiss so, like I say, there was one in particular was um, an M.R. James uh, collection. And it kind of, yeah, it, it, his voice and everything, it seemed to kind of form the whole thing. And that's why we went down that route. But to be honest, there was actually another short that I saw years and years and years ago that has still been in my head. And I was thinking about it when we were making this. And it starred Kenneth Branagh, what was it called? The Periwig Maker. Um, Oh, it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. And it's, I kind of wanted to, to tell a story like that. So I feel it's quite similar, um, but hopefully it's unique in its own right. Yeah. yeah. Going back to Matt Gatiss then, who I, I feel was a really sort of perfect fit for this, because then you, you then got him to actually do the narration for this film. Was that an easy get or an easy sell as far as bringing him on board? I don't know. Like, it, it actually was... Um, because it was COVID, there was no... So I had a great producer on this as well. So she, uh, Louise Niconcourt, did all the correspondence and stuff. I just said, okay, I want this and this and this. But, like, we have kind of ins with a few people, our contact details. So we had a kind of list of really good people that we could reach out with to. But I was like, oh, you know what, I'm going to regret it in a couple of years if we don't reach out to Mark Gatiss. So I'd like to just try it, get a no, and we can move on. Um, I just wanted to take that box. So reached out and yeah weeks passed and weeks passed and I was actually thinking about other people and then word got back yeah he's interested he wants to do it so it's like he got the script I'd like to think he got he liked the script uh, I'm sure he did but I'm sure COVID had a bit to play in it as well it might have been uh, lucky timing but um he was fantastic because it was like I was saying when we were writing it his was the only voice I could hear in my head and so it was very hard to break out of that. So it was it was perfect, and he did an, an unreal job. Yeah. Well, it's very sort of high end two D animation. It's still I, I feel very hard to kind of pull off horror intention in two D. 
but I, I, I feel this film kind of succeeds. I definitely got the sense last night watching it with an audience, people were freaking out, you know, a bit. <laughs> and it was that challenging, I guess, to kind of achieve that with this style, which is quite like, on the surface, not that kind of, yeah. you wouldn't think horror necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess so. Like, yeah, I did a lot of kind of thinking and reading up and, you know, about, you know, story structure and how to build tension and all that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, hard, you know, took my best swing in it. But when, when you work on something for so long and watch it again and again, you lose all concept of is it good, is it working? You know, you just kind of, you have to lay out a roadmap and then try and maintain it. But it's great seeing it with an audience because... You know what they, people say all the time, oh yeah, but it's great to see the film with the audience. I don't really know what that means until you're in this scenario and you can feel, uh, with the film, yeah, there's some parts in it that you wanted to have like a little giggle or a little jump or something. And you actually can feel it from the audience. You can feel a nervous shift or a kind of a relief or something. So it is, it's, it's um, yeah, it's a great payoff when you, when you see it with an audience. You're like, okay, that did work, good. Because, you know, I'd lost track. Awesome. Yeah, no, fantastic work. And um, yeah, thanks very much. Great. One more film to chat about uh, The Catalyst. Uh, it's a student film, right? Yeah, yeah. Is it a BA film? Uh, yeah. Uh, cool. What was the unit? Is it Cardiff? Cardiff Met. Cardiff. Yeah. Cool. How did you find that environment then? Because I found that it was, it's a really solid film. Like, it's, you know, not, I mean, not to throw shade, but <laughs> student films that really kind of hold together out of the gate, you know, like, they're not super common, I suppose. Um, so yeah, was it a good environment to... Uh, yeah, um, well I started, uh, I guess the one thing I did was I started thinking about it in my second year instead of my third year, <laughs> so I had a lot of time to prepare for it. Um, and then uh, when I was working on it, it also happened, that's when COVID hit. Um, so like, I just, I, if anything, I wasn't in uni, I guess, at that point. I was just working it at home constantly. Um, so I think that's, that somehow helped to, for me to bring it all together. Um, but like doing it at Cardiff Met, honestly, like uh, I think it was great. Um, I think it helped me to be able to put it together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, when you came up with the idea then, and it's kind of, I guess you could call it a coming of age tale, it's quite uncompromising. Um, was that all kind of presented up front, like when you kind of like pitched it to the uni, I guess, as an idea? Yeah, um, I had previously uh, in second year, I'd made a comic uh, in, in another module that was similarly just like full of rude imagery. Uh, and I was like, you know, I really enjoyed doing this. My tutor really liked it. And I was like, you know, I can do this for my film as well. <laughs> so, I, so I, yeah, straight up, I was like, this is what I want to do. At first, I was a little like apprehensive because I still sort of felt like, oh, I can't show this. I can't show this to people. My parents will see this. Um, but uh, my teacher was like, no, you should do it. You should don't like hold back. So I didn't hold back. And that's why it is the way it is now. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned comics. It, it, visually, the design style really kind of put me in mind of like comic art and sort of specifically because of the European and French comics and character design and I was sort of interested in what inspirations might have been there. Um, I don't know, to be honest. I, I, I feel like, because uh, it's one of style, like one of many styles, I guess I sort of draw in. Um, but I wanted specifically just to have something simple that I could animate in. I didn't want anything too complicated. Um, so I kind of just pulled elements that I usually sort of pull from. Just, most, most of my work, I guess, is, has that sort of uh, simple, cartoonish, exaggerated uh, sort of look. Um, 
but in all honesty, it was for convenience. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. The um, character then goes on this kind of like internal odyssey where he meets all sorts of like specters. I'm not sure what you'd call them, but they have sort of. It feels like some of them are kind of rooted in mythology and folklore, maybe, and then some are kind of more overtly like cartoony. Was there any sort of like process as far as coming up with the different sort of figures he encounters? Um, honestly, it was uh, a case of I just animated what I wanted to. Okay. <laughs> a lot of this film came together as I wanted to do something that was crude and uh, explicit, basically. And I was like, okay, these are, this is a fun idea. Um, like the the, bu- the two buff guys playing. Uh, it's not even volleyball, really, but playing volleyball. Um, <laughs> Volleyball-esque. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that one like, was like, well, buff guys, that's you know, a given. Um, like, there's the satire that I thought that, you know, in mythology, I guess, they are very sort of uh, associated with male sexuality. So um, I felt like that was a given. Um, the little monkeys are just because I, I like to draw monkeys. <laughs> so um, a lot of it, yeah, was just sort of doing what I thought was fun. Uh, yeah. It was mainly a lot of it was driven. Just I wanted to do, to do something fun for myself for a year, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do it like yourself in terms of the actual labor, or were other students able to help? Yeah, it was entirely me. Uh-huh. Um, I I had uh, help from Gabe over there um, <laughs> with the music, the the pots and pans music that we did in in our uh, in my room. Um, but all the animation, storyboarding, everything was myself. I was just. I put my head down like in, in second year up until the end of third year to just do it just because I wanted to. And I'm a bit, bit of a control freak, I think, when it comes to my animation. <laughs> uh, so you graduated now? Yeah, I've graduated, yeah. I um, did my master's last year as well. So uh, cool. yeah, f- graduating this Monday, actually. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. What are you up to next? Um, well, at the moment, uh, we actually have, we've started up our own uh, little animation studio, I guess, uh, very small, monkey animation. Um, and uh, in the background, I guess, I'm working on, uh, it's either a short or a series of shorts uh, called Cockoin, uh, which is, uh, I guess, Welsh for um, lamb's cock. It's an insult uh, that I thought worked. You know, I wanted to sort of, it would be a more sort of down-to-earth story than The Catalyst. Um, and sort of, but still sort of explore, I guess, sexuality in, in a more, I guess, in a more personal way. Um, it's something I worked on during my master's. Uh, I really want, I've been, I've got a lot of test animation using sets for backgrounds uh, with this, a similar animation style on top of it. Um, so that's something I'm hoping I want to continue doing and maybe do as a team going forward, really. Awesome. Fantastic. We'll look forward to that. And um, yeah, thank you again, everyone, so much for coming today and round of applause. So thank you very much to everyone who was involved in the Cardiff Animation Festival Filmmaker Brunch Session 1. Just to go through all of those wonderful people and where you can find them online. Joanne Fisher is on Instagram at Joanne underscore Leia underscore Fisher. Bumper Studio, who made Chasing Birds, is at bumperstudio.com. Joanna Quinn and Les Mills are barrelproductions.co.uk collectively. Daniel Gray can be found at danielbenjamingray.wordpress.com and you can read a bit more about the making of that film in our semi-recent written interview with him at squiggly.co.uk slash daniel-gray-hide. That's Gray with an A. 
Laura Beth Cowley is on Instagram at LB Yellow. Uh, where else can people find you? I'm on Twitter at LB Cowley. And I'm, I have a website at www.laurabethcowley.co.uk. Any hyphens in there? Or? I don't think so. I think maybe Laura Beth. I mean, if you type in Laura Beth Cowley, Crafty Witch, I think you'll find some other stuff sort of going into the behind the scenes, like videos and talks again. That's what's on my Instagram at the moment is a link to the trailer, which is like a behind the scenes video for Crafty Witch. Cool. Boulder Media is at bouldermedia.tv. And Callum Angel can be found on Instagram at canedgel.art and on Twitter at canedgelart with no dot. Canedgelart is spelled C-A-N-N-E-D-G-E-L-A-R-T. There you go. Go check them out. Wonderful stuff. Well, thank you, Laura Beth. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening and for all of the filmmakers who took part. And we'll be back very, very soon for the second Cardiff Animation Festival Filmmaker Brunch Session. Until then, happy animating. <laughs>